the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. For the first three weeks of Trinity season, the Gospels focus on the question, who belongs to the people of God? Last week, the parable of the Great Supper focused on the exclusion of some who were thought to be in. Today's Gospel focuses on the inclusion of some who were presumed to be out, the tax collectors and sinners. Now, there's a naive and false perspective about the group labeled in the Gospels tax collectors and sinners. And this naive and false view goes something like this. Jesus liked to hang out with sinners. This shows that he loves everyone unconditionally is not really concerned about behavior. Therefore, the church should accept everyone unconditionally without calling anyone to repent and change. In fact, Jesus called everyone to repent and change. He began his ministry with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This exhortation is enshrined in our liturgy. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent, draw near with faith. To come to Christ, we must turn away from our own sinful and disordered ways of life and begin to follow Jesus in a new way of life. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners because they were more aware of their need to repent and therefore more open to Jesus than were the religious leaders. The more visible our sin is, the more we are aware of our need for God. For example, the woman in John chapter 8 who was caught in the act of adultery and dragged by accusers to Jesus was hardly going to argue that she had no need for God, that she was fine as is. That was a self-assessment of her accusers. Jesus told her what he says to everyone who turns to him in repentance and faith. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This statement represents two paradoxical truths about grace. Grace is complete acceptance by God as we are. But grace also includes the call to holiness, to change. The Anglican writer Martin Thornton calls this the tension between succor and demand, between on the one hand, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you, and On the other hand, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Thornton observes this tension in the ministry of Jesus. He says that Jesus was humanist to the masses and rigorist to his disciples. He welcomed sinners freely into fellowship with him. But the sinners who began to follow him, became increasingly aware of the demands of discipleship. 
This process is exemplified by our patron, St. Matthew, the former tax collector. Today's gospel illustrates the reconstitution of God's people that takes place in the New Testament. The tax collectors and sinners in the gospel are gathered around Jesus. Jesus is the center and focus. The religious leaders who criticized Jesus believed that God's people were defined by their allegiance to the Torah and to the tradition that defined how the Torah should be observed. This is the main bone of contention. They want Jesus to conform to their idea of who belongs to the people of God. But Jesus came to redefine the people of God. In Jesus, the Torah became flesh and dwelt among us. God's people are now defined by their relationship to him. Every person from whatever nationality or background, can become part of God's people through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The religious leaders did not think they needed to repent. This left them on the outside of God's new people. The tax collectors and sinners understood that they did, This put them on the inside as members of God's new people. Or it at least showed them that they qualified for membership if they were willing to begin to follow Jesus. The mission of the church should follow, reflect the posture of Jesus. We should want to share our experience of grace with those who are outside. This requires an openness, an orientation of hospitality to those who are not us. And this requirement raises a question about evangelism. Historically, the evangelical approach to evangelism, which is very common in our culture, started with the moral law. First, You let people know that they were sinners who were separated from God. Then you presented Jesus as the answer to sin, the one who forgives sin and bridges the gap between us and God. There is truth in this logic. However, it presumes that the main barrier to faith in Jesus is prideful self-sufficiency that refuses to acknowledge sin. However, pastoral experience reveals that sometimes the exact opposite thing is the issue. Many people feel bad about themselves already, and because of that, do not think they qualify for membership in God's people. In this case, the attempt to convict a person of their sin may indeed lead that person to descend further into self-loathing, and actually create greater distance between that person and God. Here we are confronted with the logic of Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. 
people who were outside of God's people. The meal is a sign that Jesus loves them and accepts them exactly as they are. Our own desire to share the love of Christ with people who are outside should follow the same pattern. The central question for many is not, do I need to be saved, but do I have any real value? Can I be forgiven? Can I be saved? For many, love is the aspect of the gospel that needs to be emphasized first, before a direct confrontation with sin. The love of Christ experienced through a relationship with someone who is a member of his body can be transformative. For love is more transformative than the mere condemnation of sin. When we taste genuine love, the inadequacy of our coping mechanisms and the pain-killing qualities of our various sins the inadequacy of these is exposed. The love of God is just better. At least that is my own experience. In the long run, I've never been moved to abandon any wrong behavior simply because I felt bad about it or because someone wanted me to feel bad about it. For me, the power of the love of God has always been the key thing. I realize that nothing is worth holding on to if it separates me from the love of God. And there's one more key point in this logic. The various sins we commit, the visible things we see, are symptoms of the deeper disease within us of sin, the condition of sin, which is the condition of separation from God. Because we have this separation from God, this natural emptiness, we do various things to fill the emptiness. Thus, the condition of sin leads to the commission of various sins. We can never cure a disease merely by treating the symptoms or addressing the symptoms. Thus, to begin with love and acceptance, is to aim at the real problem rather than beginning with the symptoms. There are, of course, plenty of proud and arrogant people whose sin needs to be confronted head on. Genuine love for people requires a discernment about the requirements of love in each situation. We must pray for wisdom. Nevertheless, a relationship of concern may still be the starting point. When we develop relationships with people where they know we care about them, they are much more willing to listen to us when we talk about the need to repent and change. Apart from a relationship, the condemnation or confrontation of sin sounds a lot merely like condemnation. The relational approach to mission understands that conversion 
is a process that takes place over time, a process we all continue to participate in. As St. Ignatius, the second century Bishop of Antioch wrote as he was on his way to be martyred in the Roman arena, now I'm just beginning to be a disciple. The relational view of evangelism understands the hearts are often softened gradually. God often reveals himself to us in a series of revelations over longer periods of time. And even when there is one big moment of conversion, this will still remain but one moment in a process of growth from who we are into the person God is making us to be. Our ability to be faithful witnesses to the love of Christ for sinners depends upon our own experience of God's love and grace. If we are honest with ourselves, we will realize that we are also tax collectors and sinners. As we say in the liturgy, we do not presume to come to this thy table trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercy. If we are not honest, we will become like Pharisees, excluding people on the basis of external appearance and dividing the world between us and them. Like St. Matthew, our patron, the tax collector who became a saint, we are sinners who have become disciples and followers of Jesus Christ simply because Jesus welcomes us, forgives our sin, and is patient with us as we slowly grow in holiness. Jesus calls us to welcome others, to let them know their sins are forgiven, and to be patient with them as they slowly grow into the image of Christ. For there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.